All right, thanks, Mary Page. Um, what was that? Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, three to five-year-olds, you guys are dismissed. The winnings uh, have you guys. So thank you, Colton. Um, well, all right. Uh, well, chapter 2, uh, verse 14 is kind of the verse that pops out uh, as we looked at it there. Um, verse 14 says this. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's a really good verse, right? Isn't that a good verse? I mean, it's one that's just easy to aim in. If you're going to post a scripture verse, that'd be a good one to post. Uh, several years ago, I attended a conference, and, and this was the, the theme verse of the conference. And, uh, but, but however, I, I don't think I, I, I really understood what it meant. Um, and, and it might not mean what you think it means either. So this section 12 through 17, if, if you're reading along there, um, it's about Paul sharing the gospel. He begins in Troas. At the end, he talks about uh, not being a peddler of God's word. And he's talking about triumphal procession. So he's, it's about him sharing the gospel. And then in verse 14, he talks about how Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So we're talking about sharing the gospel. We're going all these places, sharing the gospel. And Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And it seems like that means that Christ leads them in successful evangelism, that where they go, they find success in evangelism. But verse 14 says that Christ always leads them in triumphal procession. And so should we think that means that Paul was always successful in evangelism? And and I think that would be a misunderstanding of of this text. To, To understand this passage correctly, hinges on whether or not you understand what a triumphal procession is. It's not just a word choice that means that he had, he had a good go at it, that he, he, he won, he was successful. It, it doesn't mean that. It's a specific thing, right? It, it means it's a, it's a specific event that would happen in the Roman Empire. And, and so what I want to do is I want to organize my message around this idea of a triumphal procession. And I want to ask three questions. First, what is a triumphal procession? Second, what does a triumphal procession mean for Paul? And then third, what does a triumphal procession mean for us? So first, what is a triumphal procession? All right, so when Paul says that Christ leads him in triumphal procession, he he doesn't mean that Christ just leads him in success in ministry and endeavors and missions and evangelism even though Paul was very successful in his mission endeavors and evangelism. But that's not what Paul is referring to here. He is referring to a specific type of event that every one of the Corinthians would have known about. A triumphal procession is an event where there's a Roman general and he's gone out to battle and he's been victorious. He defeated and conquered a people. And so what they'll, they'll do is they'll have a, uh, they would often have a parade for this general he would lead this procession into Rome uh, and they would have music and a parade and the soldiers and all that. But here's the part that's interesting. They would include in the parade prisoners of war. And these prisoners of war, they were part of the parade. It's kind of an ultimate conquering of these people. And at the end of the parade, these prisoners of war would either be executed or they'd become slaves. And so that's what a triumphal procession is. It's a military parade 
led by a successful general who's conquered a people, and the prisoners of war get executed or become slaves at the end of it. That's what a triumphal procession is. It's a specific event. It's a thing, right? So with that being the case, what does a triumphal procession mean for Paul? That's my second question. What does a triumphal procession mean for Paul? So first, we need to remember that the successful general leads the parade. And who does Paul refer to that successful general to be in chapter 2, verse 14? It's Jesus. So Jesus is the successful general that's leading this parade. And Paul is being led in a triumphal procession. And that would mean that Paul would be like a prisoner on his way to either become a slave or to be executed. That's not what I thought the first time I read it. I felt more like, here we go, guys, let's, let's do it. It's not that. It's a prisoner of war in a parade who, at the end of the parade, he will be either executed or become a slave. And he says, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That might sound bizarre, right? And I think, Kevin, I think you're reading into it too much. But it, it, it goes along with what Paul says throughout his letters and throughout this, this letter to the Corinthians. But it's almost hard to imagine that Paul would want to, to, to cast an image of himself as being a prisoner of war in terms of Christ. But in, you don't have to turn here, but in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul refers to himself this way. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So that was a category Paul had. Like, what's your relationship with Jesus like? Ask somebody that, they're probably not going to say, kind of like a prisoner. And if they do say that, you think, you must not be doing well, you know? You must have grown up in a, in a tough house, right? But no, Paul is saying this, and he doesn't mean it in a bad way. And so he clearly did consider himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And what about the reference to him being a slave? Surely he didn't see himself like that. But he opened his letter to the Romans and the Philippians, and he identified himself as a servant to Christ. And that Greek word is also translated, it can be translated as a slave to Christ. So when Paul thought of himself in relation to Christ, he had these two categories, a prisoner to Christ and a slave to Christ. Now, what about the part, so the triumphal procession, he's like a prisoner, like a slave, but what about the part about him being led to death? I mean, do you think Jesus would sign off on this idea? You're a prisoner, a slave, and being led to death? And like, Paul's not saying this in a bad way. Like, he's, he's writing meaning this in a, in a good way. But we're talking about a prisoner, a slave being led to death. And does that sound like something that Jesus would sign off on? Well, I think he absolutely would. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said this. He said, to all, uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Take up his cross daily. Look, we hear that in 2020, and the cross, it's, it's, it's like PG rated. It's not that bad. The cross is ugly. It is a brutal death, slow death, a torturous death. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it's going to look something like that. I mean, this is the kind of image that he's given. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it well when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So Paul was a prisoner and a slave of Christ being led to death, and we should consider ourselves in the same way. And side note, we'd be a whole lot happier if we did. 
Now, with that being Paul's situation, a prisoner and a slave of Christ being led to death, what effect did he say that had, that had on him? And we see the effect of Paul being a prisoner and slave of Christ being led to death in verse 14. Look at the second part of verse 14 where he says, And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul's life of being a prisoner and a slave being led to death put out a fragrance. It put out a smell. And what does that mean? Well, I think we get an idea what that means when Paul talks about this idea in Ephesians 5.2 where he says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus giving himself up in his life and death for us was a fragrant, fragrant offering to God. And so Paul is now saying that he is, offering, is a sacrificial offering of himself, and that lets out a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And then he goes on to say this in verse 15. He says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So Paul was a prisoner and a slave being led to death, and this was noticeable to others. And, and we see this throughout 2 Corinthians. Like Paul had a tough go of it. I mean, you read all his letters, you see it, but in 2 Corinthians, he spells it out really clear. A couple of weeks ago, we were in chapter 1, Paul talks about when he was in Asia. He says, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. He thought they were going to die. Then in chapter 4, you can flip here if you want, if 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, 8 through 12, we read this. It's somewhat of a famous passage where he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You see this emphasis of like, I'm just getting beaten, pressed down, broken. And this is the, the, the death that is working in me. Something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 4 and 5 he says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Paul's ministry to Christ and to the expansion of the gospel was absolutely brutal. I mean, it was awful and it let out a fragrance. And for some, it was a fragrance of life to life and to other, a fragrance of death to death. Some could see beyond Paul's suffering to what that suffering pointed to, and others couldn't see past the suffering. It just looked awful, and some could see past it. And for those who could see through the suffering to the glories of Christ, they were drawn in by the fragrance of life. And to those who couldn't see through the suffering to the glories of Christ, they were repelled because it smelled of death. So Paul's life was a sacrificial offering to Christ, and for those who could see Christ in it, they were drawn in. And for those who couldn't see Christ in it, they just saw the suffering and misery. They were obviously repelled from it. And look, whenever someone becomes a Christian, whenever this happens, there's a lot of things in play. When someone becomes a Christian and begins to follow Christ, there's several factors going on. And to share a little bit of my story, I grew up in a church, heard the gospel a lot. 
uh, the, the content of the gospel, that Jesus died for my sins and should repent and believe, uh, th- that wasn't really my issue of not, of not following Jesus. Uh, I was familiar with the idea that I was a sinner. I knew I needed a savior. Um, and I didn't lack an opportunity to be involved in the church or ministry. That was, that was um, widely available to me. But, but as I look back and to see what actually happened and, and, and how God changed me, what, one thing that it, that it appeared that I lacked was seeing someone like me give their life to Christ. So, so when I was in college, uh, when I went in my freshman year, I, I was, I was kind of your stereotypical fraternity guy. And I, I just want to add that that stereotype's not always fair. There's some great guys in fraternities, sororities, obviously. Um, but for me, I, I, was the, I was the person that gives them a bad name, right? And so, so anyway, one of, the, uh, like one of my main friends, one of my best friends in high school and in college, uh, is kind of my, my partner in crime and best friends, did everything together. Well, his sophomore year, um, he started dating this girl, got real religious. She was kind of a goody-good. 20 years later, I would call her godly and mature. <laughs> then I would call her a goody-good. Um, he got just obsessed with her, right? And so he's like going out with her all the time. He's not going out with us. And I, we were having more fun than him, w- without question. Like, and, and I remember like having a heart-to-heart, just like, man, just think about what you're doing. We're in, we're in a window of time here, and you're kind of losing what's happening, you know? And so uh, the other thing I do, I, I, I didn't mind talking behind his back. Um, and even though I wouldn't walk with the Lord, I was sharp enough to gossip like I was concerned, you know? I uh, just felt like he was missing out on a lot. I feel like he's going to regret this years down the road. Um, and so anyway, um, uh, I, and I'll tell you, I thought he was a bit of a fake. Um, I thought there's no way he likes what he's doing. Because what I saw, there's lots of things that we like doing, and he's missing out on all of it. And, and I definitely preferred my life to his until I didn't. Because here's what was happening. In the beginning, when my buddy's life, when he was giving his life to Christ, there was a sense where all I saw was the death. You don't go out. You don't seem to have fun. You seem like a different person. I preferred the old person as opposed to this new person who's less fun. And so it just looked bad to me. It smelled of death until it didn't, uh, until the aroma of Christ that he laid down his life. And look, there's a sense where it was minor persecution, but for our level in that time, there was a sense of persecution. And look, over time, it began to smell of life. And all of a sudden, I found myself talking to, uh, there's another guy in our fraternity, and he joined it, uh, you know, really more as a missionary than anything else. And, uh, and I remember talking to him, and I just said, I, I couldn't believe the words that were coming out of my mouth. And someone was just like, I'm jealous. What has happened to him, I want that to happen to me, and, and I don't know how. And so, so here's what happened, is that to me, I needed to smell that life. But it came in the form of death, in a sense, right? Because an old person died, and a new person came to life. So it went from the aroma of death to the aroma of life. And in a sense, my friend lost his life. The old person died, and a new person came to life in his place. The, the old person died, and Christ began to live through him. And I wanted it. I wanted that for me. And so what drew me to Christ was seeing a life that was handed willfully and joyfully to Christ. When he became a prisoner and a slave and seeing the old person die and Christ in him arise, I wanted it. 
And look, there's a sense, when you look at verse 17, Paul says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, it's commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Look, you don't sell the gospel. If, if you're an extrovert, don't confuse that with thinking you might be a good evangelist. If, if, you're, if you're an extrovert, if you're a good salesman, you're probably a bad evangelist. You know why? Because we don't sell the gospel. We proclaim it. And you know what the, the offer is? To die. Take your vision of the good life and literally bury it. And, and, and whatever Christ might raise up in his place, so be it. The gospel is something that is proclaimed. So we don't, we don't need to peddle it. We don't need to try to figure out flashy ways to sell it. We just need to proclaim the gospel and let God do his work. Whenever someone comes to Christ, it's an act of God. It's not good salesmanship. And if it's good salesmanship and you promise them this good life, they're going to be really mad when they see the suffering that takes place in Christians' lives. Look, our, our goal at Redeemer is not to have a lot of people here on Sundays. Th that'd be great. I, I hope our tribe increases. But that doesn't need to be our goal. Our goal needs to be to faithfully proclaim the gospel and to show the worth of the gospel, not just in our proclamation and in our evangelism, but in offering ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ as slaves and prisoners to him, willingly and joyfully giving ourselves over to death for Christ. So what did it mean for Paul that he was being led by Christ in triumphal procession? It meant that he was a prisoner and slave of Christ being led to death and that it would spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere he went. Now, my third question, what does a triumphal procession mean for us? So, so Paul isn't just a, a great teacher. He's also a, a great example. 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So for that reason, we should imitate what Paul does. And in that, we should join him in the triumphal procession that's being led by Christ. We should become prisoners and slaves to Christ who embrace the path towards death. There is no resurrection without death. When, when a person becomes a Christian, the new has come and the old has gone. I mean, that's the whole symbol of baptism, right? The, the old man is buried, raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. And, and Paul says this over and over. In Galatians 2.20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. That's an ugly picture. Crucifixion is ugly. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is about dying. It's not about cleaning up your act. It's not about reading your Bible more, not drinking or not smoking or trying to cuss less. It's certainly not about achieving whatever good life you've imagined, your life, the way you want it to work out. It's about dying and it's about, and in that dying, it's about Christ being resurrected in you and to live life through you. And the more you're hanging on to whatever vision you have of the good life, the less Christ is going to be living through you. Look, your vision of the good life, which I'm sure is not morally evil, it's probably not even morally questionable, but that vision of the good life is going to, is, is going to capture your heart and imagination and it's going to eclipse the person and work of Christ living through you. And so the point is that we would die, that the old person would die and that the new person, Christ in us, would be raised in us. 
um, when I was in college, there was a, um, a campus minister, and he gave a uh, pretty controversial sermon. And I actually wasn't there. I just heard about it. And he was doing a series on uh, manhood and womanhood. And afterwards, um, it, it, well, I'll tell you what happened. He was addressing the women. Uh, I'll tell you some of what happened. He was addressing the women during this time. And he was addressing uh, the issue of modesty. And um, it, it, he was bold enough to go into s- specifics, to b- talk about what is modest and what isn't. And while he was going through, s- through some of these things, uh, he began to name and say some things that even people that, that were there that night happened to be wearing. So you can imagine just, you know, how uncomfortable that would have been. So anyway, it's a big stir. Like I said, I wasn't even there that night. I hear about it. And man, there's just lots of talk. Uh, and then the next week he gets up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tense, you know. Um, and you're thinking, like, is, you know, is he going to say, hey, you know, sorry, I probably went too far. Uh, you know, what's he going to say? And so, so he got up and, uh, and he shared that many came up to him afterwards and were offended by what he said. Um, and then he went on to say that, hey, look, I, I wasn't trying to offend anyone. I was trying to destroy them. And that's, what's, uh, that's what we got to get about the gospel is that it's not, it's not calling us to tidy up. It's calling us to die. And whatever vision of the good life we might have or whatever things we think we are entitled to or whatever, as long as we are holding on to that, that old person is not dying. Our idea of dying to our our old selves is way too tame. Like Paul said, I have been crucified. It is no longer I who live. There has been a death and is now Christ who lives in me. And look, this is actually good news because as Jesus said, whoever tries to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for Christ will save it. So it's better for you to die and have Christ live through you than your vision of the good life to actually happen. And the more you feel entitled to the good life, you have, you have imagined the more miserable you will be. The more you feel entitled to that, the more miserable you're going to be. And the more you see yourself as a prisoner and slave of Christ, the happier you're going to be. This is what Jesus told us when he said, the more you try to save your life, the more you try to make your idea of a good life happen, the more that your idea of God is God is at your service rather than you are at his service, the, the, the more you have that idea, the more miserable you will be. And the more you will actually end up losing your life. I want to say this, just a quick word to the downhearted. Right now, I'm sure there's some of you, and you don't like your life right now. Maybe you even hate your life. Your life hasn't worked out, and and the way you thought it would be hadn't happened, and it's it's not even close. And maybe it seems like it's not even going to happen. It's it's, 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 just just lost. And, And you just feel disappointed, down, maybe not sure what you have to live for. Maybe you're in a better place than you realize. I mean, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, Christianity, it's an upside-down thing. And the person here that needs to be worried is the person that's kind of got the world by the tail. Like, everything's working out for you. You know, throughout the Bible, there's warnings about that person. Watch out that you don't forget God. But the person who's been maybe beat down a little bit, life hasn't worked out, the lowly, Read through the scriptures and notice the lowly. It's grace abounds. And look, the, the people who can't lay down their life, 
Jesus, it's, it's, it's impossible for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. There, there's a big obstacle there. And God has graciously, graciously removed that obstacle that you can come to him and find life truly. And you might not be able to offer much, but you know what you can offer? It's whatever you have, and it will be precious in God's sight. And it will spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. So, so may God help us to love Christ more than our vision of the good life. And may we be like the martyrs in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, who love not their lives to death. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now and the idea of dying, the idea of being at your service rather than you being at our service um, is one that we need to have, um, uh, we need to have our minds renewed towards that. And so would you show us um, that the way up is down, that may we embrace the death of the old person and Christ, would you live in us? Would you have us to live for your sake, to joyfully and willfully join, join Paul in the triumphal procession? Because you are good, uh, and, and our desire is to live for you. And Jesus, in your name that we pray, amen.